Hey, this is Robbie Shaw. This is Patrick Balsley. And I'm Sam Hampson. And this is Champagne Problems, where we come together to explore the gray areas of drinking. This is a judgment-free zone where we can all take a look at how we make decisions about our relationship with alcohol. Welcome back, everybody. We are in the studio today recording episode nine. We are discussing the topic of romantic relationships and sometimes relationships in general and the effect that alcohol has on them. Today, we have got a special guest by the name of Dr. Lindsay Rodriguez. Dr. Rodriguez is a social psychologist and a graduate and undergraduate professor in the psychology department at the University of South Florida. I found Dr. Rodriguez in a New York Times article that was passed on to me uh, a few weeks back. This is something I think we all have experience with, clearly with our professions, (laughs) but but also (laughs) in personal situations as well. Yes, I am one of those people. I do not drink, my wife does. There's an interesting dynamic there. How about everybody else? Sam, what do you think? I'm excited. I think this is an interesting topic. I was listening back to one of our other episodes where we kind of touched on you know, some of the reasons that I had removed drinking from my life for a period of time. And every time I look back to that phase, stage, chapter, whatever you want to call it, I always think of the relationship turmoil and how much alcohol fueled it. It was like any small thing that was going on in the relationship, anything at all, would be blown up when alcohol was added to the situation. And so if we were both drinking, those issues became huge mountains where before it was just kind of a collection of pebbles. And <laughs> I'm just really interested to hear her dissect what's really going on in relationships there. What's really, how do we get on the same page? What if we're not on the same page with our alcohol use and kind of what are the, just the, what's the good and bad and how do we do this correctly? How do we do it healthily? I'm ready to dive into her research. I am super excited as well. You know, when I think about my relationship with my my wife, um, you know, we met, my wife and I met when I was drinking. We're going to dig into some of the nuances that come with drinking while dating. And I think that's a a pretty interesting and important topic to dig into. Um, Like I said, I, I was, you know, almost at the end of my drinking career right around the time that I met my now wife. Now, that's an interesting story. I could go into that in another episode because we didn't do it when I spoke to her before. But now I don't drink and she does. And so there was an interesting transition period, we'll call it. So I'm very excited to to dig into that with Dr. Rodriguez. Patrick, what about you? Did you and your wife meet around alcohol while drinking? What's the story there? No, 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 no. My wife has never seen me drink, thank God. I was in recovery for about four years when my wife and I met. On our first date, I was totally transparent with my history with alcohol. And, and I, I was before before we actually went on our first date. We had talked a lot about it. And, you know, my wife doesn't drink much at all. You know, she'll have a couple glasses of wine every now and then. But, no, alcohol hasn't really played a, a major role in our relationship at all. And that was something that... You know, she's always respected in my recovery. She didn't really know anything about recovery and addiction before we met. It just wasn't part of her part of her world. You know, she's definitely taken an interest in what we're doing and, and, mm-hmm. and what I do, obviously, for, for work. 
and she's very curious about that. Yeah. Dr. Lindsay Rodriguez, welcome to Champagne Problems. Hi, good morning. We are very excited to have you on today to discuss this topic. This topic is super important and ended up coming up a lot in our previous episodes. You know, not only is it important, it's it's I think it's a common, a very common topic, especially in our our field of work. Obviously, everybody in here, as far as I know, is is in a relationship, and you know, I'm in a marriage. Patrick is in a marriage. I think uh, digging into the effect alcohol has on a relationship, good and bad. Uh, is super important to our listeners, and I think it's something that we're all interested in learning more about. So that being said, Dr. Rodriguez, I'm interested to learn more about your research and what all you do down there at the University of South Florida. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm a professor of psychology at USF. I study exactly the things that you were talking about before, how alcohol can be helpful and harmful to close relationships and how people communicate about drinking, as well as how they communicate about lots of other things in their relationship, and really trying to help people have healthier and happier relationships, because we know that that then makes it more likely they will live happier and healthier lives. Gotcha. Wow. What a, what a mission. That's <laughs> uh, very respectable. And, and, you know, interestingly, obviously, with some of the work that we do, uh, you know, to see where some of the methods we use come from is really mm-hmm. kind of what this is about. So you're actually doing the work that, you know, gets trickled down to us that we apply to our work. It's, it's really fascinating. So let's dive in. So would you say that the majority of romantic relationships begin under the influence of alcohol? And, and I think the, the other way of saying that would be how often does alcohol play a role in dating? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I don't have any data around that question, but I I think anecdotally, the vast majority of first and second and third dates probably involve drinking. Um, It's definitely something that we consider a social lubricant in our society. You know, it's something that opens us up a little bit and makes conversations flow a little bit easier. And, and more importantly, we believe that alcohol makes conversations flow a little bit more easily, which makes it more likely that we'll drink. And so the availability of alcohol at many locations uh, where, you know, dates might be happening and the, as you guys have talked about in previous episodes, the, the normative, you know, way that we just sort of normalize drinking in every context or almost every context can can have drinks and have it be a totally normal thing, I think, uh, makes makes drinking likely at, at many first dates. In a former episode, I told a story about, uh, you know, I'm just going to go into this, Lindsay. I told a story about how I'd never had sexual relationships without the influence of alcohol until I got sober, mm-hmm. you know, and so you know, backtrack that a little. So every date, even down to my girlfriend in eighth grade, like I just, I couldn't even be around a girl without alcohol. It was just, that's how I learned to, to begin a relationship with someone of the opposite sex for me. And, and I don't know if that's good or bad. I I don't think drinking in the eighth grade with your girlfriend (laughs) is, is that good? Uh, it was fun, 
So, I, you know, I don't know if you, if we can throw it into a good or bad category, but I, I'm certainly interested in knowing, you know, about the authenticity of a relationship, if, it, that, if that's how it begins. You know, what are your thoughts on that? And again, I liked how you said anecdotally and not that you didn't have any data on it, because that's what we're doing here. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the fact that alcohol begin, you know, alcohol is, as a major part of many, many couples dating experiences isn't necessarily a good or bad thing by default. Just like, you know, how we talk about alcohol in general, it's not necessarily good or bad. It's how it's used and, and whether it's perceived as being a problem by either person in the relationships. There's a lot of ideas in society and, and people talk about this in conversations about how drinking, you know, allows us to be our true selves and that and your question about authenticity when people are dating and how alcohol plays a role in that if they you know are drinking a lot during their dates i think that question is is complex right are we more ourselves when we drink um there's there's two really important mm -hmm. parts to that and one of them i think is true that it makes us more our true selves but one of them is not and so it's really important to sort of understand whether we think that that's true and, and what that means for our lives, if it is. So when people are drinking, huh. it, it reduces inhibition. So the things that we normally might think to ourselves, but might not say out loud, we are more likely to say out loud when we've been drinking. So that's, that's true. In, in that sense, you know, we, we're more likely to sort of spit out the things that, that we've either meant to say or didn't mean to say <laughs> for better or worse. Right. It, you know, <laughs> in that way, you could say that alcohol makes it more likely your true self might come out. But then um, in the way huh. that alcohol just enhances what's salient in our environment, uh, the alcohol myopia, that that does not mean that we are more likely to be our true selves when we're drinking. So, for example, alcohol makes people more aggressive. And there's lots of longitudinal yeah. and experimental and lab um, data to support that. I don't think that everyone is, is really their authentic true self is a super aggressive person. I don't think that that's true. So, um, you know, the, that more that people are more likely to get into a fight or, you know, yell or scream or punch somebody when they're drunk. I don't think that that's our true selves trying to get out all the time. And then we finally let it out when we've been drinking. <laughs> so, yeah. Got uh, it. Yeah. So I think to the extent that it helps people open up about their emotions or disclose about their lives, and, and all of that is really helpful when people are beginning to date each other. So I think to, to that extent, it's a, alcohol can be a good thing when people are dating. But yeah, to the extent that it's it's becoming a binge drinking episode or just heavy drinking, I think uh, it can be related to lots of negative consequences that maybe people might regret the next day. And so the goal is to sort of stay away from those types of drinking events and, and use alcohol in a way that enhances the conversation without, you know, regretting anything you did the next day. Right. Got it. That's uh great that was that was that's fascinating i personally i like to rip my shirt off whether i'm drinking or not in public um but i fight people yeah yeah i'm a big fighter without alcohol no uh i'm kidding but you know it makes me think of it, the authenticity piece and and is it my true self and i and when i look back i i recall 
you know, I, I'm a fairly social, nervous person, and and obviously when you're younger, it's that's a little more heightened. But alcohol would calm that, yeah. and and so that me coming out like I'm confident and cool and and even flirtatious, yeah. that is that my real self? I don't know. I wouldn't have done it without the alcohol for sure. So that's uh, I mean, that, it's interesting to look at it that way. That's where my head was kind of going with this, and I I just thought about this as you were saying that how it's kind of like the reverse effect. It's almost like this using alcohol as like a positive reinforcement in that beginning stages of a relationship. It gives you the confidence. It gives you the the like anxiolytic effects of where you know you're not going to be as nervous and. I think that it's extremely, at least it was for me, and I could see how this played a part in in my addiction history in the past. It almost was like, okay, well, now I can use this and enter into these relationships, and it sets like a pretty unhealthy precedent for anything that's going to come down the pipe in the future. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going with this, but I, I feel like, you know, alcohol use in in the beginning of any relationship and that feeling of authenticity and vulnerability is it it almost reinforces like okay well now I got to keep doing this if I want this relationship to be a success and that can come from both sides and then when you pull the alcohol away or you're with somebody and you haven't had any drinks it's like there's that awkward tension and the Oh well, this isn't the same guy that I was on the date with. <laughs> right. like, you know, where's where's like, the stuff? Yeah, where's the fun? Where's the funny guy? You know? Or yeah. The, where's the asshole? Or the, yeah, or the yeah, the fighter. <laughs> I wonder too about like the the dosaging, like just thinking about how that can kind of peak and then change. You know, just maybe early in the night that does put me more at ease. That does kind of allow me to be more social, more fun. Um until a point, right? And then if the drinking continues to increase, actually I become less and less myself. I bec- I start to behave in ways that I are really far Tell out from that, my personality. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and just looking at like some of the reasons that people or myself would choose to pull back on drinking certain types of alcohol or drinking certain amounts of alcohol saying, you know, I'm definitely not myself when I drink that. I mean, there's so much stigma around types of alcohol of like what tequila does to you, right? Versus like having a couple of beers and the way that I act when I drink. Like, is that real? You know, what does tequila actually make? I mean, isn't it just alcohol? It's it, the. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just stories that people have, and I think that right, you know, that yeah. it's all about the expect expectation. And if you have the expectation because you've heard it your whole life yeah. that tequila makes you like sexier or makes things more likely yeah. then you know you're more likely to drink tequila in those situations <laughs> sorry to cut you off sam but yeah, yeah yeah and i think it's and sam i think you're right that like drinking wine makes me feel different than drinking beer like i think you're right about that but um as yeah. far as like different types of liquor I don't know how much of it is expectation versus mm-hmm. how much of it is actual. Because you'll hear that, yeah. right? Like people are banned, like you're now banned from drinking any kind of dark liquor, right? Like you're done. We're not doing that yeah. anymore. And just the thinking about kind of like anecdotally, it, it's typically centered around someone not behaving like themselves when they're drinking that amount or when they're drinking that type. And actually that really goes against kind of the story we tell ourselves of like this allows me to be more me And just wonder, like, you know, I'm sure there are pros and cons both to dating and in relationship with some of those things. But 
I guess just broad picture, what are some of the things that you see as far as how alcohol can enhance and damage relationships? And I know that's complex, but just kind of big picture bullet points. Yeah, I think real quick before we before I get to that, it's tied to that. I think that to the extent that we can just sort of have the mindset that you don't need alcohol when you're dating somebody, I think that can benefit a host of, you know, lots of different things down the road. It's going to make you feel better because you don't feel like you need alcohol to, to have a successful dating experience or a successful relationship with that person. And then there's, and I'm just going to give a lot of scientific evidence today. I'm good at, you know, I'll talk, Bring I'll talk about on, the anecdotes please. too. Bring it on. Yeah, I that's, feel like that's good evidence. The evidence is kind of what I know a lot about. So there's lots of, of evidence to support that, that people, when they go on dates that are more activity focused, and that can be rock climbing, it can be going to an, a park or you know going on a walk or a hike or on the beach. I mean, doing something outside or something that gets your heart rate flowing, people tend to be more attracted to the person that they're with under those circumstances. And a lot of those things can you can do that you know without drinking or it's not as normative to be drinking. So. I always say when people are like, do you have any suggestions for, for types of dates to go on? I typically say do something active and, you know, you don't need to drink during those sorts of dates. And I think that like what you guys were saying, it sets up, you don't have that precedent anymore when you're not, when every single date is not, let's go to a bar and bar hop you're getting a variety of experiences with that person, getting to see them in different environments and you're doing it all almost, you know, exclusively without having to feel like you need to be drinking. So I think that can be a really good, you know, just something to keep in mind when people are dating or thinking about different things you can be doing on dates, trying to get out of the mindset of, oh yeah, it just has to be at this bar. Cause I know that's really common. Yeah. Now you see where our heads are. <laughs> <laughs> we just automatically assume that dating is in exactly. a bar in a dingy dark yeah. bar. I try to make it so that we're doing something every, every time, you know, I like to go, yeah. like to go out and, and more to see the person in different environments. I mean, when when people yeah. as people get older they sort of get used to how to do a first date and i think that you know it's it's interesting to see how people are when they get out of that mindset of it has to be this way it has to follow this script we're gonna have to go to this bar and get this many drinks and then go to this bar and get this many drinks and then you know have an awkward hug goodbye and so i i really think you can build the relationship stronger if you're if you guys are out there making memories doing things that are exciting i feel like makes a lot of sense i feel like in our culture there's like silos of of dating culture so there is like you know those groups of people that will go rock climbing but then you have those groups of people that are like you know both the male and the female or or both both dating partners are like we're going (laughs) you know it's like yeah this is gonna be weird yeah it's like that that you know the the premise of the date is is all around all right how are we gonna get hammered and (laughs) and i think that the marketing culture has done a really good job of bringing those two things together uh, drink and rock climb it's like you know it's like everything is like I guarantee you there's a place there's where you a can silo. Do that. Yeah. There's a silo. There's a silo. 
Yeah, you're right. And it all goes back to comfort. I mean, many people, most people get anxious before a first date, right? Like you're meeting somebody new. It could potentially be a relationship. You know, there's this facet of it that's evaluative. Like, are they going to like me? Are they going to want another date? And so alcohol is, you know, we have this perception that this expectation that alcohol is going to make us sexier, funnier, more attractive, all of these things that we want to be. And so it, it sort of becomes a very safe thing to do to go to a place and, and drink and, and people feel more comfortable and they will drink in their hand. But I just, I think it's good to, to think out of the box a little bit in that, in that way too. And not always fall back on it or depend on it. Like yeah, that. yeah. In in the world of specifically problematic drinking, I mean, it's all about it develop, developing a dependence, and and that is certainly my personal story. But uh, just to think of of how, like I've already said, how I began dating, and then all of a sudden I'm I'm super dependent on that <laughs> method in order to, you know, I, I believe that that's the only way I can yeah. feel like I appeal to someone is is to be funny and be confident and and all those things, and then all of a sudden I'm dependent on it, and I don't know any other way. Not to mention how you know it for me specifically, I always used to seek out you know, potential partners that would enable my drinking. Right. You know. Right. And I, I think that's a pretty good topic of conversation with what we're talking about. Can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, I think there's a socialization, like um, a selection process by which heavy drinkers probably seek out other heavy drinkers. In that way, when when relationships become established, people influence each other's drinking within a relationship, right? Like people tend to, to sort of follow along the same path. And if they don't, we'll talk about this later, I'm sure, but that's where you start to see that discrepancy in how much the couple is drinking. And that's where many times problems, problems in the relationship can start when there's a larger discrepancy. So to the extent that people pick, choose partners who have similar, um, you know, drinking levels to themselves or, or drinking levels that they want to have, you know, it can make it easier so like, I know, for example, I'm a very light drinker, but I've been on, you know, in my twenties, I went on several first dates where I, I tried to keep up with the person, right? Like every time you go back to the bar, they, they'd get me yeah. a drink, they'd get a drink, they'd get me a drink. And, Hammer yeah, time. And like, Hammer time. I don't remember, you know, there's many times <laughs> that I don't remember the next day. And it's, I would sort of decide to myself, like, I'm not going to do that again. And <laughs> I did it again. But then I think over time, <laughs> I, I sort of set a rule. I don't remember when I set this rule, but I, I sort of set the rule that for every, you know, two that you have, I'll have one. And so not only was that more consistent with how my body processes alcohol compared to a man, it, uh, you know, it just sort of made me feel like I was on a, a better level, more consistent with what I wanted to be at. And I just, once I set the rule, it was kind of like, there was no question. There was no pressure every time that I went back to the bar, or the server came, just, it's not my turn yet. You know, I don't want another one yet. And I think being comfortable saying, I don't want another one right now is really, really important, even though there are the, you know, there's that pressure in the beginning of, of the dating experience. And I think just making it clear up front, like, I'm not going to, I know I don't want to keep up with you. It's not something that I need yeah. to be doing or I have to be doing. 
It's so interesting when you start to come up with your own kind of rules around this stuff, though, and you don't default either to the yeah. masses mm-hmm. of what is considered to be normal drinking in your mm-hmm. friend group or in your age group, but also just in those individual mm-hmm. interactions and relationships when you really make your own decision. Because I'm thinking through even situations where, you know, there are nights where if my fiance is having a beer, like I'm much more likely mm-hmm. to contemplate having one than I than if yeah. he didn't, right? And just how much that influences being with that other person, if they're grabbing another one, even if I'm not done with mine, it's the contemplation of like, oh, should yeah. I be grabbing yeah. another one, right? And just being willing and intentional about setting your own rules mm-hmm. around your own drinking. And I love that you pointed out that that's you've got to take your physiological like metabolism into account when you do that it can't just be about what the other person's doing because that just might not apply for you yeah yeah I think if if the goal is for you know if you're the woman if the goal is for you to be totally outpaced or to be totally at a at a you know have this inequity it's either the inequity is either going to be in the number of drinks you have or the way you feel in your body. And if you want it to be the way sure. you feel it in your, you know, in your body, then drink the same amount. But if you want to be at the same level, yeah. the way I feel to the way the person across from me feels, then the number of drinks just has to be different. That's just, you know, and it, and it all depends on tolerance, yeah. of course. And, but, but gender is the, one of the biggest factors. And so it's usually by about half that makes me think just just in a general sense of just pure pressure for some reason in our world and you could probably speak to it but just the the pressure and the so the the social pressure and the peer pressure and then the relationship pressure alcohol is such a major one it's 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 fascinating that our society has gotten to that where it's there's full education on peer pressure (laughs) you know why is that why is there so much pressure to keep up to be like you know, to do the same, it's just, why yeah, is that? I mean, we are such a social species, you know, we, we like to be part of the group and it's unfortunate that the marketing, you know, companies and that the, the whole area <laughs> of it has normalized drinking so much to where we feel like we have to drink and we have to drink a lot at almost every function. And I think that a lot of the pressure people feel sometimes comes from, others directly right like they're either nudging you or they're saying hey you want another drink i'm going to the bar whatever but then a lot of that pressure also comes from what we think inside so if i think that everyone at this party is drinking you know one or two drinks an hour then i'm going to be much more likely to do that you know the perception of what other people are doing is a super strong and underestimated like we don't realize how strong and pervasive this influence is predictor of what we end up doing and it goes in every domain you know you can apply to everything and the really interesting part about that is that we overestimate how much other people drink consistently right and it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter you know what your experience with drinking is you're going to overestimate what other people drink and so i've i've done lots of different intervention studies where we just ask people particularly heavy drinkers um how many drinks do you think the typical college student at your campus drinks in in one week and so if you guys were going to guess this, what, how many drinks would you say a typical college student drinks in one week? 
God. I mean, draft. yeah, I would I would absolutely overestimate it. <laughs> he- heavy yeah, heavy shitload. Heavy drinker. Shit you are a heavy drinker. So let's you know, I'm not <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and so the average yeah. we get that that people say is about fifteen. That's what they think that that the typical college fifteen, 15 a, week? a week. That's what their perception is that other people are drinking. Oh. The average college student. So you know, if you take all of the college students, you, you take the normal one, and then we take that same college, you know, student population, and we take a representative sample of them. So we get you know lots of different people on the campus, and we just ask them how many drinks do you have on average in a drink, and we get a big enough sample to where we can make you know pretty confident inferences that that's the truth for the whole college student population at that school. And the average for men is about five and for women is about four. And so when you tell a heavy drinker who is probably drinking 10 to 15 drinks a week that there are more, <laughs> lots of times more, right? No, no way, <laughs> that, that's true. That the average college student is four or five. They're like, wait, what? And, and if you present it, you know, I mean, we're not making, we, it's unethical, unethical to make up these numbers. These are real numbers. When you <laughs> tell them that, we believe they're you like, calling me an alcoholic. They're like, oh my God, like I'm drinking, I'm drinking. And usually we presented in bar graphs so that it shows very clearly to them what they thought was the truth, the truth and where they are compared to their peers. And when you present that, Hey, you're drinking twice as much as your peers, it's, powerful and it tends to be related to you know fewer alcohol related consequences and less drinking over you know we follow people up over two years and so i think just that that pressure that we feel like going back to the bigger point that the pressure is a lot of times explicit but many times implicit too it's just what we think and once you correct that perception that like you know, I'm probably overestimating the number of drinks that everybody's having here. I'm probably overestimating what's normal on dates. Maybe it's not true that people get shit based on dates all the time. Um, you know, it's it's a lot easier, and we it, it eases that pressure a little bit. I think it makes it a little bit easier to say, "Nah, I'm just gonna have one or two drinks tonight," or "Hey, I'm not drinking tonight." It's so interesting that the whole theme is that what you believe is just as important, if not more important than what actually is. Yeah. 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 And I feel, I mean, that's, that is the foundation of my research program. Really? Like perception? Because when you think about it with relationships, there are objective criteria that define whether someone has an alcohol use disorder. Right. And and the way that they think about drinking now is more along a spectrum of risk. And it's whether, you know, what, you know, category you sort of fall along that spectrum. But so much about relationships is perception. And all of you in relationships listening in the room right now know that um, you can have the same conversation with another person and walk away from that conversation. And it's like you had two totally different conversations. (laughs) (laughs) You have different Mm -hmm. perceptions of the same words being said. And when you apply that idea to drinking, it's not, it's not even about the objective level of risk that the person is presenting with. It's whether their partner thinks it's a problem. And that is much less correlated. Those two things are much less correlated than you would think. 
the first thing that came to my mind when, and, and I dug into a little bit of your research and, re- and recognized that perception was a big part of it. And it, and it's, it's such a fascinating concept because it's across the board. It's not, I mean, it's perception is everything. It's, it, there's a filter we all have and, and it's affected by so many different things with moods and even, you know, this is a wellness oriented podcast. So it's, you know, our perception is, a, is influenced by all the different aspects of wellness. It's just fascinating. It goes back to whether alcohol is going to be helpful or harmful to the relationship. You know, like you said, when alcohol, it changes your perception in, in the way that, you know, I sort of talked about a little while ago, it, it makes it more likely that you'll say or think something that you have been saying or thinking deep down, you just were inhibiting yourself from saying it out loud. That's, I think, the reason, one of the reasons why alcohol can lead to conflict and potentially aggression in romantic relationships, because it's like, not necessarily the aggression piece, but the communication and conflict. People bring up stuff that they've been hiding, you know, not hiding, but they just haven't had the right time or opportunity to speak up about. Um, And then you add alcohol (laughs) to the mix and it's like, oh, here's that thing that I've been meaning to tell you, but I'm going to say it in a way that is probably not going to be helpful for this conversation yeah. what are you talking yeah. about i didn't say that last night exactly. yeah. you must have had too much to drink right. yeah yeah and you so i'm sure though. you guys have been on both sides of this but we're a drunk person and a sober person having a conversation with each other talk about perception differences for both of them well that's what I keep thinking about is like if my perception matters so much like just thinking of my own relationship if my perception of his drinking both in amount Mm -hmm. intention whatever else is surrounding it is what matters not what's actually true about his drinking and I'm using alcohol, which already distorts my perception, right? It's like those two people drinking. Like, I can't think of how many nights Uh I'm like, you drank a lot. And he's like, I had three beers. (laughs) And I'm like, you did? You know, and like in my head, I'm like, that can't be true. Like, surely, like, because I thought you were drinking a lot, that means you were. And surely it was because this is what happened during the day and you were drinking as a result or you drank more that night because of who we were around or whatever. And even though that can be debunked by him kind of giving me the factual information behind it, I can still hold the perception. So when you think about kind of relationship and and best trends, I guess, best outcomes, best predictors of the ways for this Mm -hmm. to work, not Mm -hmm. be dysfunctional, what's what's the key here for two people in relationship with alcohol and with each other? What's the healthy way to approach this? Such a good question. And I think three things to keep in mind. One, why are you drinking? Two, how much are you drinking? And three, are you drinking together or apart? And so with with why the motives, um, and this is true for individuals and for couples, you know, if people are drinking there, you know, we generally say there are four reasons why people drink alcohol to be social and celebrate, to, um, enhance the way they feel or the way that they appear to other people, which we've talked about, uh, to conform and fit in with a group and to self-medicate or manage negative emotions. And so when people drink 
for those social or enhancement reasons, it tends to be unrelated to relationship outcomes. It's not good or it's not bad. You know, it's, I think it's fine. And if you're drinking to have a a glass of wine and enjoy dinner with your partner, or you're just, you know, sitting at the end of the day and sort of unwinding with them and having a conversation, that's okay. That's, that's a way to use alcohol for your benefit. But, and, and the amount will come in in a second, but if you're drinking to self-medicate, uh, that tends to be the number one thing that's related to, to alcohol-related consequences and to developing alcohol use disorders is that coping motive. And so trying to stay away from that. Um, and then with amount, obviously drinking less is better, more is, or what is it, less is more <laughs> in that way for relationship <laughs> benefits, uh, you know, staying away from heavy drinking, just having one or two drinks is a way that, that you know, makes it more likely the relationship's going to benefit from it. And then obviously doing it together and not apart from each other. So in a way that, you know, makes it so that it's more connection building, rapport building, you're celebrating something, you're just kind of enjoying your time together and not because you need it, not because it's, uh, you know, you're miserable, not because you want to be apart from them or something like that. It makes me wonder too, if there's like that secrecy element of, you know, the, there's more trust when I can see, and at least my perception is yes. based on something versus when you do it in private, when you do it secretly yes. or away, then the amount of perception that yeah. I get to create <laughs> is tenfold, right? That's versus exactly kind of seeing right. it yeah, in I'm front of paper me. Right now, that's exactly what you just said. When people perceive their partner drinks more with them than without them, you know, to that extent, it, it's, they're more trusting of their partner. They have a lower concern. Their partner has a problem. They think their partner drinks less and has fewer, you know, alcohol-related consequences and all of that stuff. It's just better when it happens more together. Yeah. It's like you. It's like safer, I think. Mm-hmm. Awesome, mm-hmm. awesome. All right, so let's transition a little bit into, you know, uh, a lot of what I experience in my field of work are uh, someone in a relationship getting to a point where there there's a potential disorder and the relationship may, you know, going back to how we began this discussion uh, along the dating lines, you know, maybe the big relationship began with, you know, a party party type atmosphere and that's kind of how it began and evolved over time and developed in under that uh, umbrella. And then all of a sudden one of the partners has an issue. And one of them is a little concerned and the other one is fighting it. And, you know, fast forward to where one of them has to make a pretty drastic change with their relationship with alcohol. I often see that not going very well. And I understand that it speaks to the health of the relationship where they're not together in their efforts to make changes. Um, But it does seem like an avoidable consequence. Can you speak to that? Like, what would be best practices when that circumstance arises? Yeah, I, you know, a really wise person told me once about collaborations with colleagues, but I think this applies to relationships, romantic ones too, that, you know, they work the best when both people want to drive down the same street. And when you see the same goal at the end of the street and you're both working together as a team toward that goal that you both really want. And relationships, when relationships are going well, they are incredibly beneficial to our health. 
like more beneficial than our, you know, the type of job we have, how happy we are with our job, how much money we have, all of those things don't matter nearly as much as the quality of our relationships for our health and mortality. But when those relationships go poorly, we are worse off than if we were single. And so when people are battling addiction, um, and it's up to them, you know, to, to decide whether they want to make a change in their behavior to, to address that problem. If they're with a partner who doesn't support that, then I think it may mean that that relationship is not going, they don't want to go down the same street anymore. Hmm. And it's not to say that, that people shouldn't be together, but I think if people are not seeing the same end goal, it usually can, it's just, you know, it can be problematic for how the relationship will turn out. And if, if one person feels like they're constantly making a sacrifice for the other one, it can build up resentment, which right. can build up contempt, yeah. which is really the most dangerous thing any relationship can have as far as emotions. And so I, I don't want to really like give an overall statement about what couples should do in that case, but really trying to be together and work as a team is, is the best way to give that relationship a chance to thrive and yeah. survive. And, yeah. and hopefully that, you know, the partner can understand that trying to make this change to be healthier will be will mean that they can be healthier in all aspects of their life and, and be a better partner and be more supportive. And it's just, uh, you know, I totally understand what you're saying about it being really hard when one person is not addressing their problem, but the other person is. And does that mean that you know, they should be miserable together. No, you know, people shouldn't be miserable no. together. And so I, you know, it's a really complex and, and hard, hard question and topic. Yeah. I feel like you did a good job though of, you know, just painting the picture of driving mm -hmm. down the same street. I mean, I often give couples when, when I've got that situation similar to Robbie, when I'm seeing those folks in private practice, it's, look, you can either have a drinking buddy or you can have a healthy partner. You do not get both when we're at this point on the spectrum. So you've got to pick which one you really want and know where you're trying to kick that bucket down the road because you're fighting pretty hard to have a drinking buddy. So that means you will have an unhealthy partner. And let's be real clear, if you want a healthy partner, you have to grieve the loss of having your drinking buddy in this relationship. And we've got to go through that process. But you've kind of got to pick a side and really get clear on what you're doing here and just kind of pointing out to them where I'm like, I see you putting a lot of energy and trying to keep your drinking buddy. And do you get that that means they're unhealthy? Which one are we really working towards? And sometimes yeah. the answer is not pretty, right? If people get really honest, they're not ready to mm -hmm. have a partner that can't and, drink. And then it's important to think about why is that? Why do I feel like I need a drinking buddy? Yeah. And yeah. is that, you know, is it so important to my life that I feel like I can't live without that. And, and, I mean, I, th I think that's another one of the issues with relationships starting around alcohol use <laughs> instead of yeah. starting around, okay, we both have similar life goals. Let's walk this road together. No, let's yeah. not worry about that yet. Yeah. Let's see if our alcohol use is compatible first, and we'll figure yeah. that out later. Yeah, like, <laughs> we'll stumble into this. Yeah, I mean, from like an overall wellness perspective, I mean, I think that's something that's that's 
it's not talked about enough in relationship and there's so many different mm-hmm. you know complex reasons why people do get into relationships yeah. to begin with yeah. and then when they're not walking <laughs> down the same path or the same road or headed in the same direction mm-hmm. it's like uh well an easier way to deal with this than having this tough conversation about where we're headed let's uh i'm just gonna have a drink instead yep. yeah make yeah. everything better in the moment yeah yeah. And just avoid this for as long as we can. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Golly, that's good. Good information right there. Because I, I, you know, I automatically go to you know the problematic side of drinking, and like you've said, it is on a spectrum, and and often because of the work we do, we take it to the extreme level when you don't really need to think of it that way. It's it's really even at the very very lowest lower levels uh, of drinking that can create turmoil and so it's helpful to to discuss it truly along the entire spectrum and not just the intense side of things i think it's cool to hear your overall kind of goal with your research is really just keeping focus on the fact that when people are healthy their lives get better they're happier all of that and when i think about adjusting drinking based on that it no longer matters whether my partner is having a beard tonight or not because then I'm making a decision about what works for me. If the goal is happy, healthy, and better together, that's a lot easier for me to make my own decision about alcohol, knowing that I'm contributing to kind of this bigger goal. And so if alcohol works for it, let's do that. And if alcohol doesn't, let's do that. And the way that you drink tonight really doesn't have a bearing on my decision versus if it's about us drinking together or it's about us having to do the same thing, then I have to adjust my drinking or base my drinking on yours. So it's just really interesting to kind of pull back and look at the overall goal and what we're trying to accomplish in a relationship. Yeah, and I think what makes, you know, for people to find joy and what makes them happy, like for me, you know, and, and this is related to people's sensitivity about their partner's drinking as being a problem or not. For a heavy drinker, a partner drinking 20 drinks a week might not be a problem. Yeah. But for someone who drinks one drink a week, their partner drinking five might be a problem. And so I think people enter into relationships with these notions about what alcohol should look like. And it changes as people get older, as people age, I think that the amount of alcohol they drink goes down. And so I know my perception about what's normal for me now at 35 is very different than it was 10 years ago at 25. And and what I want to do with alcohol and how I want to integrate alcohol in my life is very different now than it was 10 years ago. And for me, I mean, this might, this is equally, not equally, it's unhealthy too. I have a sugar, like major sugar problem. I eat Oreos (laughs) and milk every day. I I have dessert after every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And for me, like, you know, having like last night, I had one of those mug cakes with those like chocolate fudge with Oreo ice cream on top. Like that was my dessert last night. What do you eat for breakfast dessert? <laughs> yeah, I'm what's cur- your breakfast actually, dessert? I'm curious. <laughs> actually, what I had for breakfast this morning, which was also breakfast dessert, was frosted flakes and chocolate milk. Oh my god! And so it's really nice. bad, nice. but I like. I just it makes me happy, and I have I, know I eat vegetables a lot too. Uh, you know, I mean, I think I'm I'm pretty normal. So it's like for me, I don't get any benefit 
personally <laughs> from drinking, but I get a lot of benefit from Oreos. And so uh, if my partner mm-hmm. wants to grab a beer, that's fine. And, oh. I, and I don't know at what point this changed for me, but I was like, no, nah, I don't want a beer. I want Oreos. And they're like, I'm going to use my calories for that. I was so much happier <laughs> once I made that change. And it was no longer about what I felt like I needed to do to make them like me more. It was like, no, this is what I want. And this is what makes me happy. And you know, <laughs> You do, you, you know, you yeah. makes you happy. I'm gonna do what makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I care how, many, be- how many beers do you normally but. drink? I don't know. How many Oreos do you normally eat? <laughs> 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 That's hilarious. So, Lindsay, thank you so much. I think we're going to wrap it now. That was absolutely just golden nugget after golden nugget. This was just perfect for our mission, and, and you, are, you are just the right person to have on here, and we cannot thank you enough for, for agreeing to participate and your enthusiasm throughout the whole thing. Thank you so much. So thankful to be here and for what you guys are doing. I mean, really, I just want to say thank you. I'm so grateful that you're getting that message out there and that you, for what you guys are doing to make it a public platform for people to listen and, and hear more about, talk about drinking in this space that has ne- that I've never heard exist and that needs to be talked about. I'm just, I'm so thankful for what you guys are doing. So that was phenomenal. I mean, holy cow, that was, uh, that was about as good as it gets as far as I'm concerned. That just meets, meets the mission. Is, is how I like to say it. We uh, like to make an effort to establish some takeaways for our listeners, some questions you can apply to your own lives. So we're going to start with uh, those out there that are dating or may want to look back at their dating or may are looking forward at their dating. And so some questions to maybe consider as a takeaway are, if you're single, is alcohol enhancing your dating life? If not, how can you create variety in your dating life with non-alcohol related dates? Rock climbing, for instance. (laughs) Or is there an intention you can set for how much you would like to drink on dates? Stuff to think about. Sam? I I love these. I think just even hearing her kind of spell out, you know, once you consider that you don't have to drink to date, then you get to consider a whole bunch of other stuff. Like if I remove alcohol as a prerequisite to dating, then holy cow, my world gets pretty big and I get to create all sorts of things. I was really interested at hearing her talk through just the the basic questions to ask yourself when you're in partnership with alcohol and with another person. And one of the things that really stood out to me was kind of her three different types of questions to ask yourself the first one just why are you drinking and she used the word motive which I love because it's so much of kind of in that wellness package of what we've been talking about of what intention do you have around your drinking are you drinking in togetherness in social aspects are you drinking because you're self-medicating are you drinking at or around something else which is a lot of what we've talked about of just really bring some self-awareness to this, ask yourself some questions. How much are you drinking? You know, we reviewed in one of our other episodes of just what is moderate drinking? What is high risk drinking? What does that actually look like? And definitely worth taking a look back at those guidelines if you're unsure. And then are you drinking together or apart? And being able to be in conversation with your partner about this, what does it look like when we drink apart? What are the things I make up in my head when you're drinking away from me? And what is it like when we drink together? What do we enjoy about it? What do we not enjoy about it? 
I think these three questions give such a great jumping off point for couples to be in conversation about their relationship and how alcohol plays into it with some obvious kind of reflection on each individual's drinking. I just, I think that this gives such a tangible place to start for our listeners. I'm I'm curious what you guys' reflections were on that. The question of why are you drinking is probably the most important question of this whole project that we've been doing. Yeah. At least in my mind. I mean, it's something that, that I feel like I never asked myself. I feel like people don't ask themselves that ever just because alcohol is such an ingrained thing in our culture, yep. especially when it comes to relationships and dating. It's such a, you know, if you actually can, oh, because yeah, I like it, you know, and then it's right. like if we actually think about that and ask that question to ourselves, I think that that, that can be the major icebreaker in, in some pretty serious revelations in your own life and in your, your relationship. Yeah. And that, that opens the door to like everything that, that we're discussing right? And what, and what we're doing here. Totally. I don't, I don't know if I can say that any better. I mean, that's it. That just speaks directly to the normalization piece. And then when you apply it to relationships and you ask that question, I mean, ask that question in general, but then ask it, you know, in various circumstances where it is so normalized, it's it just, it's super powerful to even consider it. But I also think that it's, it's so important for us in relationship and not necessarily romantic ones, but to ask these types of questions in the presence of people that we trust and that we're close with yeah. mm-hmm. and to have these conversations instead of, you know, having them in our head to actually bringing them to light a little bit talking with our partners about them, talking with our loved ones, with our family members. Well, um, and, and friendships. We've talked about, you know, women's side of things and men's side of things and the camaraderie mm-hmm. and, the, and the getting together and, and having, you know, quote-unquote friendships but happen to be <laughs> based in alcohol. It's, uh, it's something to just look at and, and ask why. I love that. Even some of the the talks that we've had live on this podcast have really altered the way I go about things. Instead of asking my best friend the other night if she wanted to come over and have a glass of wine, I was like, hey, do you want to come over after work? We can make dinner. I've got got wine, I have beer, or... Sorry, go ahead. Or Sorry, go ahead. We were like joking over how much we've been loving like hot tea lately, right? And like just making sure that I insert that as an option. Like you coming over to drink is not the purpose. It's you coming over so we can spend time. Oh, and by the way, I have food and I have alcoholic Oreos. and non-alcoholic beverages to offer you. <laughs> but just that simple like awareness of bringing that into the conversation of I'm not asking her to come over for a glass of wine. I'm asking her to come over and I will also provide hydration. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, I love it. It's not about the wine. It's about you coming over and just keeping that focus, I think, is really important. The information and opinion shared on this podcast are solely those of the hosts and guests and are not a substitute for medical advice. If you feel like you may need professional help, here are some resources. For the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline, call 1-800-662-4357 or visit smsa.gov. For listeners in the Charlotte, North Carolina community, visit dilworthcenter.org or call 704-372-6969 
or visit theblanchardinstitute.com or call 704-288-1097.